I love social media just as much as the next person. I mean, I love our social media page. I use our social media presence to try to give out factual, current, up-to-date, and reputable information. But there's some weird stuff out there. I don't have to tell you that. Well, this is now making big publication news because the new article coming out in January 2023, by the way, that article was led by an OBGYN resident. Isn't that great? I mean, you can be a medical student, a resident, nurse practitioner, midwife. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be an academic physician with 20 years of publication behind you. So thank goodness for Wu and her colleagues who, as an OBGYN resident, saw some craziness on TikTok and said, man, we, we got to take a look at this because this is, this is going to hurt patient care. And that's exactly what she did. Yep. TikTok is killing our IUDs, and IUDs are fantastic, but I'm going to give us some general practical information that are evidence-based so that we can change this perspective on IUD insertions. Despite all of the known benefits of an IUD and its longevity, patients are making the decision of not getting it based on something that takes five minutes. That's insertion. Pain at insertion when the insertion process is just 10 minutes of the five, seven, eight, ten-year life of the IUD is just tragic. I mean, we're robbing patients of good information because of misinformation. So let's go ahead and get this information out. And I'm going to give you some data, not just on what Wu found on her TikTok review of IUDs, but more importantly, some evidence-based tricks and tools to use at your disposal that I've employed for the last 20 years. It's nothing new, and they work so that we can decrease patient pain scores, increase their satisfaction, and do something that a lot of studies don't address, but we're going to address it right here, which is reduce their anxiety at time of placement. Guys, it's amazing what we're going to cover here, and it's going to open up your eyes to, wow, I didn't know that this was done. Well, it is, and I think everybody should have these things done during IUD insertion. I'm going to tell you what those are and cover Jennifer Wu's paper right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it now again, because I am a big fan of LARCs, long-acting reversible contraceptives. They're fantastic. They have a lot of non-contraceptive benefits. And there's another session that I did, another episode not long ago. Um, I think the title was, Not All LARCs Are the Same. So we tend to group these things together as, oh, they're super effective. They're more effective than patient-dependent factors like birth control pill uh, or the patch. And that's totally right. But not all LARCs are the same. I mean, there are some effectiveness differences with the Nexplanon, the Edenogestrel implant, actually having the lowest failure rate of all kinds of contraception, and that actually includes even sterilization. By the way, Edenogestrel is not a paid sponsor. 
Anyway, but larks are fantastic nonetheless. I'm a big fan of the progesterone-releasing intrauterine systems because they also have the advantage, of course, of reducing cramping and reducing bleeding. But again, it really is up to the patient's choice, of course. But if they're not placed correctly, then that information spreads like wildfire. As I've said before, my patient population base is predominantly college age uh, and young adult. Uh, and I've heard some crazy stuff out there. And it comes from a two-pronged approach. When I talk to patients about LARCs or IUDs specifically, I get two responses. Either, oh, I, they're great. I've heard great things about it. Let's do it. Or, oh, no, I've heard that the placement is awful. And that comes from two sources, either bad experiences from friends or family And then the second is social media. As I mentioned in the intro, I love social media. I think it's a great way for us to connect. Uh, It's a great way for us to share information, to stay in contact with friends and family. Oh my goodness, our social media page regarding this podcast is international. Just the other day, I received a message from somebody in India, and it just warms my heart. We really are one medical community, and that's how it should be. But while there's some things that are being done for good, there's some information that's being out there and unfortunately is being used for bad, and it may not even be with that intent. I'm sure they're not trying to deliberately dissuade people from using IUDs, but that's exactly what's happening. And a lot of that has to do with misunderstandings and misinformation regarding the device, specifically around insertion or its application. Among the top content with the hashtag IUD on TikTok, more videos have been found to be negative about IUDs than positive, and more than one in four has stated distrust of medical professionals. This is terrible. That's why we're addressing this now so we can be made aware of it and try to change this boat around to head in the right direction. This takes us to Jenny Wu and colleagues' publication that's coming out in the Green Journal in January 2023. What? That's now what? Just over a week from now? The title is TikTok, IUD, and User Experience with Intrauterine Devices Reported on Social Media. As I mentioned before, Jenny is an OBGYN resident at Duke University Health System in North Carolina. And Jenny, good for you for doing this research and getting this data out so we can all be aware of it. Wu and her colleagues used a web scrapping app to help extract information from the 100 most liked TikTok videos with the hashtag IUD. For each video, the researchers used two tools to help look at this data. The first was a modified five-point discern scale, and that was used to assess information quality. And then they used the PEMIT scale, that's Patient Education Materials Assessment Tool, and that was used to assess understandability and actionability of the post. Now listen to the number of times these videos were viewed, all right? And it's not the number of times that they were viewed that's amazing or astounding. It's that they were viewed with bad information. And that's why it's killing what we're trying to do in the office because they're trusting social media posts, some of those more than evidence-based recommendations. Cumulatively, the 100 videos assessed garnered 471 million views. 32 million likes, and 1 million shares. That's incredible. Two videos were excluded from this analysis, though, because they did not even use the English language. So if you included those, it's even more. But again, we're sticking with English as the main language of content. Negative tone was more common than positive tones at 37.8% compared to 19.4%. And 80% of the videos on personal experiences were negative. That's 80%. 
Almost all of the videos on patient experiences with placement and removal discussed pain and negative side effects. Now, the side effects we can deal with because that's all part of pre-counseling informed consent, right? Before you give a copper tea, tell them it's going to increase some bleeding, potentially increase cramps, and things like progesterone releasing. It's not just the effect on cycles, but remember up to 20 to 25% will have some uh, systemic symptoms, including acne, uh, possibly um, some alopecia, even though that's more rare, but they are these androgenic progestin effects that patients need to be aware of. So we can head off a lot of that pre-insertion with informed consent. So we've got to take time to do this. The other big modifiable factor that gets a lot of the attention here is insertion because we're all rest, we're all pressed for time, we're all hurrying, I get that, but rushing the IUD insertion and it going south, uh, it going bad, can really, really set ripples along the patient uh, population because it just takes one bad experience to kill it for someone else. So again, I'm going to tell you some evidence-based tricks and tools that I use uh, for the last 20 years that can really decrease patients patient's anxiety, and pain scores with insertion. Now, not being braggadocious, just giving you some facts, I always ask a patient a visual analog scale at the end of placement. And I'm very proud to say that our visual analog scale in general is anywhere from 1 to 2. Yeah, it's hardly zero, but one to two is still considered mild. Remember on the visual analog scale, whether it's a 10 centimeter scale or a 100 millimeter scale, but the breakdown nonetheless is all very similar and it generally gets broken down into three basic sections. Anywhere from around zero to three or three and a half or so is mild to very tolerable. The next section goes up to around seven, which is moderate discomfort, but still tolerable. And then after that is the uh, more severe discomfort and not very tolerable scale, all right? Now, I don't actually give them the scale to look at. I just tell them from zero being nothing and 10 being the worst, like passing a kidney stone or, or having a child, uh, where would their scale be? Uh, and sometimes we bring it up on our laptop so we can show them. Uh, this is the same little scale as the happy face scale that you all see in labor and delivery, right? Super effective. By the way, those are validated. Uh, they do work. And I'm telling you, with the techniques that we use that I'm about to tell you that are evidence-based, our patients are typically around two to three. No joke, it works. And so we've got to change the way that we're doing this. Rather than just rushing through it and then sticking it in there, this is why we're in this mess. So I'm going to give you some evidence-based tricks and tips so that we can get out of this TikTok issue. Man, I didn't think I could get all those tease out. Tips, trick, TikTok. Guys, English is a second language, so I'm not going to say that again. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Now, before we leave Wu et al.'s upcoming January 2023 upcoming publication in the Green Journal, here's yet one more disheartening fact. Of the videos reviewed, only half or about half, that's 50.9%, actually presented scientific claims that were accurate. About 18.8% were moderately accurate, 18.8% were moderately inaccurate, and about 6% were highly inaccurate. So not only are these things being viewed on a high scale, but they're only about 50-50 chance that they're actually giving out right information. As I've mentioned before, that's why we're here. Remember, we're trying to right this ship because any intervention that we give, any surgery, uh, any birth control that we give, it's all about three things. The first is, of course, being the most effective, having the most success at treatment of whatever we're trying to treat or intervene for. The second, it has to be safe. And then third, as a byproduct of those two things, we should hopefully be impacting patient satisfaction towards the right way. So this is why we're doing this episode right now, just two days before Christmas, because we want to get this information out because, once again, medicine moves real fast. All right, now that we've covered the new TikTok review and its accuracy or lack of accuracy regarding IUD placements and above all, patient satisfaction, which is really low, let's talk about some evidence-based tricks and tools that we can use to try to turn this thing around. Now, I'm going to tell you what I do as we go through this, and these are evidence-based. The problem is, though, that a lot of the data is a little scattered, right? So you can have one study that says yes, other study says no. So as we've mentioned before, you have to take a look at, at the accuracy aggregate pool. Uh, and again, if it could possibly help, like one of the things that we're going to discuss, which is topical lidocaine, if it could possibly help, and the risk is almost negligible, then that's where the benefit lies. This is very similar to the vaginal prep at C-section episode that we just did. Yeah, some data shows it doesn't work, but other data shows that it does. So it's all about the possibility of benefit with very little to no harm, then you should employ it. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here. The things that we're going to discuss right now is to ways to increase patient satisfaction, decrease pain and anxiety could at the least possibly help and at the most have been confirmed to help. I'm thankful to say that I've actually done these, as I mentioned before, for the last 20 years. I learned some of these tips and tricks during residency, but it's amazing. Even back then, I remember telling this to another attending uh, when somebody told me to do it. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. This is so fast. It's not going to hurt her. Uh, and it's amazing that we've kind of come from that background. But now we've got to pay attention to this because look where that got us. But I'm glad to see that some of these techniques that we've been using have actually come out in print. In September of 2020, there was a nice systematic review that was done in the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology out of Canada. The title are Strategies to Mitigate Anxiety and Pain in Intrauterine Device Insertion, a Systematic Review. Now, that's exactly what we're talking about. So why is this thing not caught on? Remember, this was out in 2020. It's been two years. Well, guess better late than never. So let's talk about some of these tips and tricks and techniques to reduce pain and anxiety based on this review. Regarding IUD insertion, remember that there's two general themes here. There's either pharmacological interventions or non-pharmacological interventions, and both have a role. And I'm telling you, the non-pharmacological options are super easy, things that we employ, and there's no reason why anybody shouldn't employ them because a non-pharmacological treatments really do help reduce not just the pain, but the anxiety that's part of the pain process. 
Now, here's what's disappointing, though, is that because the data has just been so scattered out there, is that when you try to group these things together, sometimes the results are kind of disappointing. But there's still hope, and I'm going to get into that right here. A 2009 Cochrane Review and Meta-Analysis by Alan et al. was actually updated in 2015 by Lopez et al. Now, this assessed the quality of evidence of randomized controlled trials evaluating any intervention for IUD insertion-related pain. Well, most of these interventions, of course, were drug-related interventions, but these investigators concluded that there was, quote, no good evidence to recommend any method for reducing pain during IUD insertion, end quote. I'm sorry, I'm not accepting that because a lot of that definitely is procedure dependent and practitioner dependent. How you do this procedure, the tips and techniques is absolutely modifiable to reduce patient pain. So I have a beef, I have an issue with that meta-analysis, but I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But since that time, of course, data has moved and there are some successful things that we can employ to decrease both patient pain and anxiety with insertion. Let's start first with pharmacological interventions. Remember, this is from the systematic review that has now updated that 2015 review that kind of exnayed any kind of intervention because nothing works. Well, in 2020, we found new data. Pharmacological interventions included things like NSAID use, topical lidocaine, and misoprostol. Now, let's stop here for a quick minute because I do need to say something about misoprostol or Cytotec. Cytotec absolutely can soften the cervix, can increase patency, but at the same time, remember that Cytotec increases uterine contractility. So this can actually increase pain scores, although it's easier to put the IUD in. So I don't use Cytotec. It's just my personal preference. I think it increases post-procedure cramping, and that's exactly what the data show. So if you're really worried about getting into the cervix, well, use topical lidocaine. And I use a gel. I don't use injection, but we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But you really can get away from not using Cytotec uh, for IUD inserts. While it may make the cervix a little bit more patent, it definitely increases in intra- and post-procedure cramping because that's how Cytotec works. So just in my personal preference, uh, I don't use Cytotec. I don't think I've, I've had to use it in 20 years. Uh, and in order to get to the cervix more in a pain-free manner, I do use lidocaine jelly. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Of these interventions that were under pharmacological treatments, the use of several topical agents like 10% lidocaine spray, 10 mLs of 1% lidocaine jelly, or EMLA cream, that was 5%, and even 2 mLs of lidocaine prilocaine seemed to have some efficacy. There was also one trial that used 50 milligrams oral tramadol, and it did reduce VAS pain scores. I don't recommend giving tramadol. I know it's a non-narcotic analgesic. I just think it's really overkill, although that definitely is an option. The use of 40 milligrams of 10% lidocaine spray significantly reduced overall pain felt by patients during the procedure in one study. I have used hurricane or lidocaine spray in the past. You just have to remember that you've got to be careful with that because when you spray into the vagina, it kind of aerosols everywhere. So you just kind of have to watch that. I'm more of a fan of lidocaine jelly because I can target it. And after I place lidocaine jelly on the exosurface, including at the anterior tenaculum clamp, then I prep. However, remember, this is sterile lidocaine. I also put lidocaine on the IUD inserter and the sound itself to try to anesthetize the intracervical canal. 
Regarding the data for the gel, there's been conflicting data for 1% lidocaine gel, with one study finding clinically significant results in meeting VAS scores after IUD insertion in the lidocaine block group versus control. But the other study found no significant difference between the groups. The application of Emla cream can also significantly reduce pain after tenaculum placement during insertion of the uterine sound, immediately after IUD insertion, and during removal of the insertion tube. So there is data for some of these, but remember that sometimes it can be a little conflicting. Patients also were assessed in the 2MLs lidocaine prilocaine cream group, and they were also more likely to report clinically significant lower pain scores during IUD insertion, tenaculum placement, and uterine sound insertion. So let's just stop here real quick and review. There is data for topical agents. I mean, what is the risk of that? It's actually very, very little to zero. Just make sure that the lidocaine or the emla cream that you're applying, of course, is sterile. The spray comes out of the can, so it's technically sterile. I, you can actually put a little bit of alcohol uh, wipe on the nozzle if you want to. That's what we do. Um, but we really are much more in favor of lidocaine jelly in our practice. Now, do it from a sterile container uh, and once you apply it on the cervix, of course, then you prep. And then we open up a sterile container of lidocaine and then pour that onto the device as well into the sound so that we place it into the endocervical cavity. Now, remember, there's no risk that's been found on these trials to do this as long as you keep technique clean, uh, you prep the cervix in the, in the usual standard way, uh, and it does seem to help. Again, our preference is lidocaine jelly, but emla cream and even the spray has been found to be effective. Now, if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, if I'm going to do a topical, I'm just going to give her a block. That's fine. Lidocaine as a paracervical block or an intracervical block has also been found to be helpful, but it's more invasive. My point is do something because the majority of practitioners don't do anything at all. Put the speculum in, put the tenaculum in, uh, and then automatically go for the IUD and sounding. Oh, wait a minute. That sets up a, a, a pain threshold effect at the point of the tenaculum. Even the tenaculum placement uh, should be done, again, in a more kind of gentle manner than a quick clamp. There's conflicting data on the cough reflex, although we do employ it. uh, So when the patient coughs, we place the tenaculum slowly. Uh, I know the data on that's kind of gray, but again, it can possibly help and there's no risk to that. So why not do that? And we do that after application of topical gel. So while you can choose to do a block, and that's totally fine, there is data for that as well. There is a higher risk of entravization, of course, even though that's very low, uh, and there's a risk of a vagal response. So I prefer topical lidocaine. Others do an injection. My point is, please do something rather than nothing. Now, all to say that this placement of lidocaine, whether by gel or a block, is great. But remember, it starts pre-procedure with informed consent, telling them what they may expect to feel. And then also do non-pharmacological agents. Every one of our IUD insertions gets a warm little heating pad over the lower pelvis. It's just because it's warm and it's comforting and it's also a point of, of distraction. And remember that they also get or should get some NSAIDs before insertion about 30 minutes up to an hour before. And that is evidence-based. Now, that doesn't necessarily decrease the pain at insertion, but it can greatly decrease the pain after insertion in cramps. So it's our preference to use anywhere from 400 to 600 of Motrin. It's a 
pretty big dose. It works. Anaprox also works as well. Uh, but I did have one practitioner tell me over five years ago that they gave everybody Tylenol for an IUD uh, before insertion. Tylenol? Why Tylenol? <laughs> Tylenol does not work well uh, on the COX enzyme. And remember, you want a good NSAID to try to block that inflammatory response. So Tylenol, great for joints and fever, but please don't give acetaminophen or Tylenol before your IUD insert. They need a more traditional NSAID. Now that we've covered the pharmacological agents, remember that this 2020 systematic review also tackled non-pharmacological interventions. Now, here's something I found very interesting that we're not using in our office, but I'm going to bring back because I think this actually is a great idea and it can help. Man, it can make everybody feel better. And that's the use of inhaled lavender or lavender by, by aromatherapy. Look, I'm very mainstream. I'm very evidence-based. And if you tell me, you know, 20 years ago, I was going to be talking about aromatherapy for IUD insert, I think you're kind of whack. But the data is actually there. <laughs> Shwanazi et al. actually investigated the use of anxiety before and after IUD insertion. And they found the use of inhaled lavender was the only intervention to lower anxiety significantly before and after administration of the intervention. Mean anxiety scores significantly decreased after the use of inhaled lavender compared to non-use. However, the level of pain after IUD insertion in the intervention of placebo groups were not different. So there's two take-homes here regarding inhalational lavender. The first is it does seem to reduce anxiety scores with very little to no risk. And the second is know why you're using it. You're not using lavender for pain. That's where the pre-procedure NSAIDs come in, the non-pharmacological use of the heating pad and the lidocaine, whether in gel form or in block. That's for pain. But for anxiety, lavender does seem to work. Now, here's something important to remember is that anxiety and pain are not two separate entities. Remember that they run in similar paths. So if a patient comes in and they're very high anxiety, then that's obviously going to spill over because of the, the, the gated responses or very similar, it's going to translate over to pain. So we can reduce that anxiety by something that's very low risk, like inhalational lavender, then why not do that? In Canada, a recent guide from the Faculty of Sexual and Reproductive Healthcare also acknowledged the significance of anxiety as a predictor of pain during IUD insertion. A recent systematic review of trials using music during labor also suggested that this approach may effectively manage anxiety and pain and is a great cost-effective non-pharmacological intervention if your office can do that. So if you're not going to do the lavender, then at least use some kind of music or white noise because whether it's distraction or the brain is processing that different signal and, and blocking anxiety, it's unclear, but it does work. Our office does have a little white uh, sound uh, machine in the rooms, and I think it's great. Now, we do that just to protect patient confidentiality so none of the voices carry through the walls. But having a white noise machine or music of their choosing during IUD insertion is actually evidence-based. Now, as we get ready to leave the topic of anxiety, I do want to leave you with this last quote from this 2020 systematic review because it says it very nicely, very succinctly. Quote, given the strong link between anxiety and pain and the lack of literature, future research is needed to understand interventions that can reduce both anxiety and pain during IUD insertion. End quote. Well said, authors. Well said. 
All right, podcast family, now that we're coming to the end, what do we do with this info? Well, first, as I've already mentioned, we've got to be aware of what's out there on social media because there's a lot of misinformation or possibly even worse, partially true information that's being taken as whole truth. And it's just not. Now, we do have to make some very important disclosures here that are very clearly stated in this systematic review from 2020. And that's that most of the studies that were assessed have varied degrees of quality, so they're very heterogeneous in the data. There's also a lack of just high-quality, conclusive RCT research out there, but we do have these things that we've covered here that are low-risk and that, again, at the minimum can possibly help and at the maximum have been definitely proven to help reduce pain and anxiety with IUD insertion. And the last take-home message is very simple. Above all, just be a patient advocate. We're all pressed for time. We're all rushing to get through our day. But we should never rush these procedures. One bad procedure, one bad pap smear can actually kill it for her and for the future. And this is why we're in this predicament. It takes time. It takes understanding. And above all, there's pharmacological and non-pharmacological approaches that we can employ that are extremely low risk and high yield, or at least potentially high yield, to increase patient satisfaction, decrease pain and anxiety. I love social media avenues. I think it's a great way for us to connect and stay connected across the globe. But it has to be done responsibly. And that's why we're here because medicine moves real fast and sometimes it moves in the wrong direction. <laughs> so we're trying to right this ship. So we've talked about both pharmacological and non-pharmacological ways to increase patient satisfaction at time of IUD insertion because it's all about reducing risk, reducing pain, and yes, even reducing anxiety. All right, everyone, we're doing this two days before our Christmas break. So happy holidays, Merry Christmas to you, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.